This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks. Welcome to BR Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast in this wild, wild waste that is the new football landscape. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever, Mr. Sam Ty, the Rank God. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you, my friend? I'm good, mate. I've been uh, watching back to watching the bird's nests actually recently. There's a good owl, owl's nest that's coming together. Um up in the north of England that I've just been keeping a close eye on. So there uh, should be some, some fledging in the cold day. <laughs> Fantastic. So Dean this weekend has watched some birds. I, on the other hand, have watched 17 games of football, um, which is over 24 hours in the course four hour, uh, four days. So I'm pretty, pr- pretty proud of myself, actually. Um, yeah, that is it's been a marathon bad. effort. I need yeah. to figure out how many I watched. I don't. Think, I think it was about eight or nine. I went. Yeah, I, did, I, I did the rounds, but I didn't quite reach jack levels. No, I, I, I just leave, lost it. I did it leave the lounge. <laughs> no, I literally just lost it and just watched football. It was, uh, it was like, I have no other plans. I'm going to just sit here and watch as many games as I can physically get in front of me. Um, and it was you know, wildly enjoyable. And obviously, we'll move on to it in hot takes. But uh, before we get on to my hot take, we'll, uh, we'll start with Dean. Wait, 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 wait. Before Dean starts, we need, to, we need to look at the La Liga table, Jack, because there's some good news. We do, we do, we do. It's important um, for everybody who's long-term followers and for new listeners. The, the La Liga table this weekend is about as perfect as it can possibly get. Yeah, so my beloved Granada are in first place. First place? I mean, two games, fine. But we've played three this season. We've won three because we've won a Europa League game as well. And Real Betis in second, only on goals scored, both on a plus three goal difference. So numero uno, numero dos. Absolutely loving La Liga so far this season. BR Football Ranks runs Spain is the, the latest. But let's move things to Old Trafford quickly. And uh, Dean, I hear you have some, some interesting bits and bobs coming out of the camp. Yeah, not ideal start to the season for Man United. Was it a 3-1 defeat to Crystal Palace? Um, Roy Hodgson does not lose at Old Trafford. Just does not lose. No, the man is a mastermind. But, um, you know, you could see just by watching the game that, that things didn't go particularly smoothly for United on the pitch. But I think there are a few signs that are, are a bit worrying for United right now. I've, I've spoken to a couple of people um, that are close to the, the situation and have been for, over the past week. And... There are some worries, and um, while the, the board, I'm told, maintain absolute faith that Solskjaer is the man, there are a couple of cracks. So one is confidence in, in Solskjaer's tactical nous, if you like. Um, I was told that one high-profile player um, during the game literally shouted over to the bench to ask Solskjaer what the F is going on um, as United were getting overrun by Crystal Palace. Um to which I'm not sure he had an answer, to be honest. But then um, not too long after that, Solskjaer sends one of his assistants out to the, to the technical area to kind of G the lads up. And his assistant claps his hands and goes, wakey, wakey. Uh, and that, that was seen to be that. That didn't get a response, funny enough. Hardly elite level stuff, is it? Um, and more than that, people are telling me like, Pogba, for example, you know, I don't want to dig Pogba out because I think he gets enough criticism. But just they said to just use him like 
he doesn't seem to have that motivation that you would expect him to have in the first game of a new season when United's supposed to have fresh ambition and he's supposed to be signing a new contract. Where was the drive? Where was, you know, was, he wasn't getting around the pitch like you would expect. Maybe he wasn't playing the position he wants to play. Maybe that's part of it. What's his role going to be? Look, it was a bad afternoon for Man United. I'm sure things will get better. They have to get better or Solskjaer won't be staying in a job. Um, but let's see what happens in the coming weeks because that is not a good start. No, they were they were desperate, Sam. They were really, really poor. Yeah, by the time I tuned into that one, because I was trying to juggling a lot of games over the course of the weekend, they were already behind, getting sliced open on the counter by Wilfred Zahar. The centre-backs were looking pretty desperate. The protection for the centre-backs looked pretty non-existent. Fossi Mensa struggling at right-back, as you'd probably predict against someone like Zahar. It was... Um, yeah, not great. I mean, if if the best you can get out of it is the fact that like David De Gea wasn't as bad as he was towards the end of last season, that's your positive. Then you're probably not you're probably not doing so well, are you? Uh, this was a, uh, a an inauspicious start. Although I would say, like, obviously the stuff that Dean just said about the um, tactics in inverted commas is pretty concerning. The first week, United had like one preseason game or whatever it was. There's a lot to come here. There's a lot to change. There are a lot of unknowns. No one's fit. No one's sharp. I, I do think that this will probably shake itself out okay, right? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, also credit to Crystal Palace, who were yeah. excellent. Um, Wilf Sahar had an incredible game wearing the captain's armband. And shouts out to Roy Hodgson in his swan song season, basically becoming the manager of Source FC. Because, <laughs> it's, you know, especially if they sign Ben Rama in the coming weeks, that the front four of, or front five potentially, of Eze, Zaha, ben, Batshuayi, Ben Rama, and Townsend is as bad as saucy as it gets. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to watch Palace this year. If Roy just puts a back four, and a holder and then just goes right the rest of you just run riot and that's his swan song here at palace good luck to him what's a what's a legend of the game um, and, and on that note sam what's your hot take yeah speaking of the legends of the game uh it has taken andrea pirlo just one single game i think to show us that he might be the polar opposite to Maurizio Sarri in at least one way. So where Sarri forced his players into his own tried and tested template and system and at some points tried to reteach Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Bonucci how to defend, which is always a red flag. Pirlo has taken a look at his squad, has drawn up a tactical formation that hides the flaws, accentuates the strengths, and they started with what was probably the most fluent performance I've seen from them in 2020. Okay, 3-0 win, home against Sampdoria. Sampdoria battled relegation for long stretches last year, pulled clear at the end. It's not a marker that they've laid down, but it's at the very least encouraging. And I'm sure Juve fans were particularly happy to see just some common sense prevailing, I guess, to a point. He produced a 3-4-1-2 formation. So back three, you know, Chiellini, Bonucci back in their best roles. Wing backs, which hides the fact that they don't have any good fullbacks. Two central midfielders doing the, doing the neat and tidy stuff. Aaron Ramsey roaming as a 10 ahead of them, splitting left, splitting right, dropping deep and surging forward. You know, Ramsey running around doing what he does best. And the two strikers ahead of him, licensed to split wide, Ronaldo Kuliseski. Ramsey was great. They were great. Close personal friend of the podcast, Weston McKenney was great. I mean, everyone was just really good. And this formation, if it's a marker, and actually someone tweeted me Pirlo's thesis that he wrote during his coaching badges, which details exactly what we saw in the first game, which is quite interesting. So it's clearly something that's been on his mind and something he's been planning to implement. It's something close to his core philosophy. If this is the marker, then we're in for a hell of a title race. Maybe Juve haven't taken that 10% drop that I thought they would because this was fluid, this was dominant, this was smart. Now, it is only one game again. 
but the signs are very encouraging indeed. It's taken one week for one of your predictions to burst with Benfica being knocked out and you starting to attract the second one, which is interesting <laughs> doing the title. So that's good. Your predictions are going well again this season, it seems, Sam. Um, My self-esteem is on the floor. The... The Perlo philosophy or, or thesis isn't quite as technically or tactically exciting as Thiago Motta's 3-9-0 or whatever he, he came up with in, in his <laughs> thesis. But, um, but it's definitely something that worked. And, and you were impressed as well, DJ. Yeah, I loved it. I was mostly obviously pleased that um, Sam predicting that Juve were dead um, wasn't true. Um, Juve better than ever, so that's great. Um, you still on the Paratici payroll, it is then? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. You know, this is why I knew what was coming. Um, but you know, even Aaron Ramsey totally reborn, you know, what can you say about that performance from Aaron Ramsey? He was, it was like when he used to see him at his best at Arsenal during those one or two years, whatever, however long it lasted. Um, one or two months. Yeah. Well, he had phases over two, two month periods over one or two years, I should yeah. say. Um, but he was back to that, you know, he, he had a role that really suited him and, and he's linking up with the players that really matter. Whereas before under... Sarri, it was a bit disjointed with Aaron Ramsey. He did not fit into to what was going on. So finally, it looks like they might have bought a player they can actually use. Um, and it might actually be even better than anybody realised he could still be. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's very, very useful for him. And I'm pleased for Rambo's career because it did look like at one point it was going fully down the drain. Um, Juventus could probably still do with some wing backs, I'd say, Sam. Oh, definitely. Um, the guy they played at left back, left wing back, I'd never heard of. Um, so I don't know if that says more about you than him, to be honest. I, I, I think that honestly, that is quite rare. I genuinely didn't know, I didn't know who he was. Um, and he looked, um, he did a, he did a job. He did a job. Obviously, Alexandro is going to come back in and play this role. And, you know, they got Quadrado at right wing back, which suits him really nicely. They, they, they have options. Danilo can play there. DeShilio can play both sides. Ultimately, aside from Sandro, they, they don't have a top class wing back. They don't have a top class fullback outside of him. Quadrado is serviceable. Um, he made some people Serie A team of the year last year almost by default because there just weren't that many good right backs. They could look at it, but ultimately you could probably play a season with with Quadrado and Dechilio. If they want to win the Champions League, they might have to get better, but it's not a disaster. No. Okay. All right. Let's move things on one final time and something that I loved this weekend, as many of you will notice by the fact that I didn't stop tweeting about it for genuinely three days, uh, <laughs> was the breaking of the Premier League one weekend goals record in a 20-team season. Now, that's a mouthful. Um, but yeah, I mean, last night, obviously last game, and it was we got to the point where obviously Villa winning 1-0 and Sheffield United missing a penalty, I was starting to worry. You know, we needed four goals from the final game to break the record, three goals to equal it. And the people in the pub... Um, who I, I went to the pub to watch the second half so that if things did go well, I could celebrate. Um, yeah. And obviously, the people in the pub were very confused when I obviously celebrated the Wolves goal, followed by then enthusiastically celebrating Gabby Jesus's winner. Um, must have been <laughs> absolutely befuddled by what was going on with this weird lad in the corner, just like absolutely having it off with him. Cheers every like, goal. Yeah, like cheering, <laughs> just loves goals. But 44 goals, uh, incredible. And I've actually watched all 900 minutes of Premier League action this weekend, um, which means I was, I was witness to every single one of them in a, in a record-breaking weekend. So I'm, I'm just really happy. But I think when I spotted this about five, four or five games in, I was like, hang on, we could be on course for the record here. No one was talking about it. 
And then by sort of seven, eight games in, everybody was talking about it. And I was like, I definitely, definitely called this one early. So I'm just really happy for myself, really. Um, I, noticed, um, I noticed on the BBC Sport live blog that when the first Man City goal went in, they reported that there would be no nil-nil draws this weekend. That was their take on it. I thought that's the tired version. The wired version is record-breaking goal tally in one weekend. That's the difference. I mean, I'm here for defending as much as the next person, right? But there are occasions where you can just be like, ah, sod it. Like, we're, we're all in. We're all in on goals now. So hopefully defending returns at some point during the season. But for one weekend, it was, it was highly, highly enjoyable to watch just the net busting time and time and time again. So shout out to everyone who scored a goal this weekend. Uh, you made my weekend better. So... Thanks for that. Um, after the break, we're going to be joined by a very special guest. And um, I'm really excited about this one, boys. Uh, Musa Kwonga from the Stadio, host of the Stadio podcast, uh, coming in to talk with us about Golden Boy. And obviously, this shortlist was released last week. Sam, you've got yourself a top 10. Oh, yeah. Musa's going to have a top 10. We're going to compare, contrast, talk about some players we like watching. It's going to be, going to be loads of fun. So without further ado, let's go on to the main section. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, and I am genuinely delighted. I say this a lot, but I'm genuinely delighted to welcome one of my favourite podcasters in the football world, the co-host of the Stadio podcast, Musa Okwonga, one of the preeminent voices in football podcasting. Uh, Musa, I'm yeah, I'm gassed to have you on. I'm not going to lie. You make me blush. I'm gassed now myself. <laughs> How are you doing? You well? I'm great. I'm great. Very good indeed. I'm hydrated. As Stadio listeners will know, it's always important to get the water in. I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming on. And we're, we're going to talk Golden Boy today. So um, obviously, we're going we're gonna to rank things. I know you've got a list of your top 10 for this award. I know Sam has his list for his top 10. So I'm going to throw to Sam. He's going to start us off and, uh, and we'll compare and contrast and then talk about some players we just like watching along the way. Yeah, um, let's start with some heavy rules and regulations to really suck the joy out of this podcast, shall we? Um, because this, this actually does need to be done. There's a shortlist of 40, which for the record is ridiculous. This, this shortlist does not need to be longer than 15 or 20 names. It used to be 100. Like, it genuinely used to be 100 and then they pulled it down to 40. And you're like, why? Yeah, because <laughs> there were players on the 100 shortlist that had played like one senior game ever. And it was like, come yeah. on, you're like scratching around for names here. You've gone into the <laughs> deepest, darkest territory on Football Manager. You've loaded up the Peru Custom League and you found the best player <laughs> from the Andes. It's ridiculous. But anyway... About 15 to 20 names on here are serious. The rest, not so much. I haven't heard of six of them. Or I haven't seen them play. And there are some on there that are really good. They just haven't made the impact. Like Fabio right. Silva's just joined Wolves, but just hasn't played that much. Esposito, Thomas Tavares, Nico Williams. Like They're all good players, but they're nowhere near. We have a clear top order here. The other thing to say is this is, for some reason, like the Ballon d'Or, it is apparently a calendar year award. So we have to kind of take 2020 rather than last season and we have to allow some room for projection as well because it gets awarded in December so these players have got a couple of months here to try and impress and to try and further their case so in my ranking I've taken what they've done in 2020 and I've also left a little bit of room for projection so are they in a good spot to make an impact at a top tier team in the next couple of months that will really further their case so that's where I've gone with it now you know all of the rules and regulations I Off think we, we, go. Just, we can start with a massive apology to Dominic Schoberslai, who doesn't make my top 10. And I'm really sorry, Dominic, because I think you're amazing. Um, eight goals and 13 assists I counted up for the, for the year. A hat-trick and two hat-trick of assists as well, which is ridiculous. And six direct free-kick goals from September. 
He, the contact he gets with the ball is unlike anything or maybe I've ever seen. He is one of the most aesthetically pleasing strikers of the ball. But what's really holding him back here is the Austrian Bundesliga and just the opportunity for him to really carve out like a golden boy level of year, just because of the, the limitations on where he plays. Whereas the rest of these guys are all absolutely like top five tier, top, top five leagues and probably figure to play for a seriously top club. So sorry to Jobbers Light and Jack, sorry to you as well, because obviously, yeah, we're obviously De- I'm obviously Devers. We'll carry on. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now let's whip through 10 to 6. Kind yeah, of because... You do your 10 to 6, and then I'm going to get Moose's 10 to 6, and we'll, we'll compare them. Okay. Right. So in at 10, and it kind of shocks me that he's come in this low, to be honest with you, but just digging through, I just don't think he played that much, is Ansu Fati of Barcelona. I think he's got serious potential to move up the list because I hope that he plays a relatively key role for Barca, you know, giving them that speed over the top that they really need and playing a prominent role now that he's made a Spain debut and basically broken through as the kind of player that Barcelona need. But he didn't actually make that much of an impact last year. They kind of spelled him out and didn't use him as much as I wanted them to. So he's ended up in 10th. At 9th, it's Ferran Torres, who had a very good year but I worry that he won't play that much of a part for Man City, at least in the early days because of that competition. At eight is Bukayo Saka, who I'm nothing but impressed with. Ability to play so many different positions, fit into whatever Arteta wants him to do and show authority on the pitch. The transition that he's made from his debut back in like October or so, I went to watch the game against Villa and he looked really scared and timid. And then you see him post-lockdown just owning the pitch. Fantastic stuff. Seven is Kamavinga on raw performances. Like, he's one of the best here. But it's about impact. And the French League got called short. He didn't play as much as, again, he probably would have liked to. But he does have the Champions League to come. So he does have that opportunity to take that next step. And at six, again, this proper surprised me. I ended up with Mason Greenwood. Um, that is low. I just no. I, I I just thought I just thought I can't really escape the fact that he was so productive, so difficult to stop. But nine goals in 2020. He's become a first team member of the Manchester United eleven at age 18. It's just he's just very very difficult to stop because of his two footedness and his ability to strike the ball with no backlift with soup, with with so much power. I just think he's a massive problem for defenses, and I think he gets that edge there of someone like Saka or Torres. Because he can't really be stopped, I don't think. Yeah, he, so there's played, my, he also there's played my, loads, like loads. Yeah, loads. So there's my 10 to 6. Fatty, Torres, Saka, Kamavinga, and into Greenwood. Excellent, right. right. This is where it gets exciting. Musa, what have you gone with? 10, Dejan Kulisevsky. Nice. I just think you're that good. Well, Atlanta's attacking um, sort of uh, output was unbelievable. It was kind of amazing they could afford to let him go out on loan, but really impressive at Palmer and earned his move. And I love, I think I'm biased towards him a little bit because I love the ability of Juventus to pluck players from teams that aren't that big and put them in the forward line. They did that with, um, I think, Zalayeta back in the day in, from Uruguay. They're, they're really good at just plucking people and like putting them in and going, oh, that guy, and it really works. So uh, Kulisewski is my 10. Nine is his goal, by the way, his goal for Juventus on, the, on his day. That finish, that was like a Robbie, Robbie Fowler finish. He also does that so often. It's that exact finish that he does all the time. And it's like genuinely quite incredible. Do you remember? It's literally a five-a-side goal. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. There's a, when Paul Gascon, there's a goal you can't find anymore. He was on tour in China and he scores this goal on the run with the outside of his right foot. Like he's running with his head down and just hits it first time from outside, just outside the area. And he can't find it anywhere. He's on tour in China somewhere. And it reminded me of Kulisewski's strike. Yeah. It's like when you see that path to goal. Oh, anyway, so Kulisewski is my 10. Nine is um, Mason Greenwood. Um, maybe slightly low 
but Greenwood was integral to this Champions League run. And also, it's Greenwood was so good that at a certain point, a myopic group of United supporters thought that United did not need Jason Jadon Sancho. Which yeah. is which is ridiculous, but they're, that's they're, how they're good. wrong. They're wrong, but even but, but, but that's <laughs> the fact that even became a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Because Greenwood was that spectacular. So Greenwood is a nine for me. Eight is Kamavinga for reasons expressed. Extraordinary job with Wren. Um, I think for me that the problem is not the football he played, but the level of football he played at. Unfortunately, it's League A and League A. You know, League A right now it, it's a bit like. Um, the Eredivisie when Matteo Kesman came through. The, the, the players you get out there are technically very good, but the mentality is a variable quality, so it's hard to tell what step up they make. So he's a slightly unknown quality, which is why I put him slightly below Bukayo Saka at seven. Saka, outstanding. His pick, the way he picks out a pass is incredible, and he almost deserves credit more than anything for emerging from the kind of morass of Arsenal. There's a sort of nebulous group of Arsenal, what are they midfielders? Are they attacking? Are they holding? Are they sixes? Are they eights? I mean, I think they're all eights, but I'm obsessed with eights. But, you know, are they... Is it, sorry, it's an obsession. Um, Saka, I think, is my seven. Six is Phil Foden for me. Nice. Um, and the top five, obviously, we'll discuss later. But Foden sneaks in because of his really strong end to 2020. Yeah, no, I mean, I like this. Obviously, I'm hugely biased towards uh, Bukayo Saka, the Ealing Eusebio, as I call him. Stop saying that. I'm going to make that stick. I promise you I'm going to make that stick. Um, oh, my his, God. His place of birth is dear to me. Sam, yes. let's go into five, and we'll go one by one now, five through to one. Okay, well, so... Ultimately, we're we're sort of in, I feel like we're in the same sort of ballpark there, Musa. Uh, yeah. We've got we've got some, sim, some some crossovers, some similar names there. I've actually gone for Kuliseski at fifth. I like uh, that. So I share I share your love for him for sure. And what he managed to do for Palmer last season in, in terms of breaking out was incredible. I remember first looking at him when Juventus got linked back in uh, back in December and watching him play on the wing and immediately thinking that's not a winger. Um, he is way too big, way too hefty to become a winger. And then you start to watch him through the Sweden under 21s and he starts to play up front or as an eight. And you think, okay, okay, okay. He's a central player. He's a central player. First thing that happens, first game for Juventus, he plays up front in a two with Ronaldo and steals the show. And that is essentially where his future lies. And the reason I put him fit is because he had a great half season with Palmer breaking out. Yeah. And now, now, if Pirlo puts him in a position to succeed as a primary as a primary forward option for Juventus, he can make serious, serious waves. And he's got the talent, and it looks like he's going to be given the opportunity at one of the world's best elite clubs. So that's why I've gone for five, that projection element. Obviously, we both share the love for him, but I'm really excited to see what he can achieve in the next, basically, couple of seasons. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're absolutely spot on. There's The thing with this is, again, I think the reason you put him higher, Sam, is potentially that projection element. Like, what can he achieve now with Juventus over the next sort of three months? And if he's up front with Ronaldo, obviously there's going to be competition there. Paolo Dybala, I imagine, will have something to say about the fact that he's uh, he's mm -hmm. not playing at the moment. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if he continues in this vein of form, there's no reason to suggest that by, by Christmas he won't be a household name. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Musa, who do you have at five? Uh, I got Sandro Tonali because I just, I just feel like, look, you know, that reminds me of something. Like Raphael Varane was in a struggling team in France, and then Zidane just plucked him out, and you just see an absolute jewel. Like Zidane's like, I got to get that guy, and there's something to be said for. I was joking to a friend a couple of seasons ago, and I said it'd be really interesting if you want to go and buy a defensive midfielder, go to the Belgian league, the Juniper League, and look at the team in a relegation battle. And by that dude, like the team that's like they scored 20, conceded 80. 
by the defensive midfielder because that that's the best player in the division because that person is having to solve innumerable problems and Tonali had to do that like and just kind of goes under the radar but is so battle-hardened this is someone who's gone through relegation at the age of 20 um has now turned up at a club he loves Milan is loving it and no his perspective now now he's been relegated to be like it's never going to be as bad as that like Champions League pressure that's not pressure like pressure is playing for historically great club in Serie A just before the pandemic and getting relegated that's pressure like so for me he's it was weird when I compiled my top 10 I thought in terms of like yourself with Kulosevsky it was like what levels have they shown already in struggling teams because you know Palmer and if it were not for Jovino and, and, and Kulosevsky Palmer could have gone down like without that firepower so that's why he's my five and he's exciting he's really exciting so I had a real dilemma last night and I was actually up until 1.30 in the morning last night staring ah. at this top 10, uh, which is more stress that I usually have over a, over a top 10 of any kind for this podcast, to be honest. And there were 12 names that I really, really liked. And Tonali ended up 12th. And I did, it didn't quite sit right with me. But mm. then I really liked Jobberslai, who basically became 11th. And then the projection element of Fatty meant he was 10th. And I changed it around loads. But I ended up not putting Tonali in the top 10. And that was the one thing that I was like, hmm... I don't know if I've made the right decision there, but at the very least, our guest has presented his case in fifth. So we're pretty much covered in every angle. And we love Tonali, don't we, Jack? I was going to say, I was going to throw this to Dean because I know how hot Dean is on Milan right now because, and Tonali very much at the heart of that, DJ. Well, we're all Milan fans now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Well, you are. I'm a Fiorentina <laughs> fan. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping to see a bit more of a run out from him last night. Obviously, Milan got underway with a, with a win and um, they're obviously easing him in there into the midfield, but... Jack, you've been talking about this for ages. You just love the fact he's decided to go to AC Milan. He, had, he could have gone pretty much anywhere in the world, this kid, and he's, he's gone to AC Milan. Um, and it's perfect. It's so perfect for what for what he needs at this stage of his career. Like you say, he's he's had his first um, stage of learning and it's been a tough stage as well, yet he's still managed to shine. So now he's going into an AC Milan team where he's surrounded by superstars pretty much now, the way that AC Milan have been recruiting but he's going to shine as well. He's still going to shine in this team. I'm so excited to see once he gets his feet under the table because I think that, well, in the first month or so, it'll be slow. Wait till Christmas. Like This kid's going to be like the talk of Europe. I genuinely believe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 12 is very low, Sam. I, I know that I, I can understand your reasoning. And these are, these are 12, like you say, very good footballers. Mm. But I think that's low. Uh, I think that... Denali is probably a top 10 material for me. I think Brescia, to be fair, the relegation would have hurt. I can't, it can't, it does play on you because we're thinking if we're doing a, a golden boy, it's about the contribution. Yeah. And you could argue if he wasn't there, that they've gone down, they've been relegated much earlier in the season. Yeah. yeah. But just in terms of his, like, like, like I say with Varane, Varane was in a struggling team and all of a sudden just went clear with Ray out. Like this guy is ready to do it on any stage. And I, I'm just surprised that weirdly enough, there weren't more huge public offers for him. I'm surprised he wasn't chased more aggressively by, I mean, United don't have an idea about recruitment, but... Well, non-Italian clubs, basically, isn't it? Because we saw yeah. Juve Inter Milan linked. Well, this is yeah. it, because Inter is so stacked through the middle, like uh, aggressively stacked, it, it, that, that yeah. you'd hope that Tonali actually wouldn't go there purely because you'd be worried about the amount of minutes he was going to get. But, mm. and then you look at Juve and there's a similar thing going on, although obviously Weston McKennie's come in and, and that, that looks like it's going to work. And, and maybe no one has good. a Tonali. No one has a Tonali. No one has a Tonali. And you'd, well, you'd have, you'd have hoped that Perla would have at least been, been like, yeah. oh, I see my, a bit of myself <laughs> in this kid. Maybe I could bring him in. Yeah. Um, but Alan, Aaron Ramsey, I'm, mate. Got Aaron Ramsey. Exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm just delighted that, I'm delighted that he's in Milan. And I think, again, sky the limit here. Uh, let's roll into, into four. 
So this is where I put Phil Foden. Uh, yeah. Musa already referenced his really strong end to the season and actually ended up playing, you know, we were, you know, back, back in, wind it back to like February or something. And we're like, play Phil Foden. Oh my God, play Phil Foden. Well, Pep played Phil Foden. We got our wish in the end. And it started with that very good performance in the Carabao Cup final against Villa. Then he went on a little, little scoring streak, Liverpool, Arsenal, Burnley, ended the season really nicely. Then played as the nominal nine or false nine against Real Madrid in a, in a, in a tense game out of, out of lockdown into, into the Champions League and has now started the season with a goal at Molyneux, which counts as basically one of the four hardest away games that Man City can possibly play in the Premier League this season. And if, if the gauntlet has been laid down, you know, Phil Foden, you are a starter for Man City, earn your spot and you keep it. Well, he's, he's put in a, a phenomenal first audition to build on some great momentum built up over the course of 2020 and playing in a team at a level like Manchester City, that gives him every chance here, I think, of being a top five for, for the golden boy. And, 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 and what, what a player he is, what a talent he is. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised to like, like, like the flip of it, really, Musa, with, uh, with Tonali. I was a little bit surprised you went so low on Foden. I mean, we say we're talking about 10, 15 really good players here. Foden came late. Foden, yeah, but Foden's ascension was a little bit late, I felt. Mm. I feel like he, and also like, I, he also like heated up in games that weren't that crucial. So like post Liverpool win, we saw Foden kind of take off. So to me, it was like, he wasn't necessarily at the sharp end. Not that he's not a great player. I love him. I think mm. he's kind of, you look, his goal against Wolves, he basically acted it, directed it and produced it. Like he was, he started. The way he began it, like it was, it reminded me of a way of like um, a goal that Wijnaldum scored before Holland, where he begins the move and ends it. And he's watching, you see with Foden, like all these runners in front of him, he's laying the ball off. And when he arrives to tap in against Wolves, he's just like, yeah, like he directed all of that. And I'm like, hey, this guy's a beast. But his ascension to me came slightly too late um, in the season. Not that I love him. I think he's amazing. Mm. Number, number four for me was actually uh, Ansu Fati. Um, and I say that because... Messi loves passing him the ball. Yeah. Messi loves passing in a team that was chaotic, in a team that was a mess, in difficult situations. Messi trusts Ansu Fati even more than he trusts Ricky Pooch to get it done. And this guy, every test he's been given, he has passed. Every test. And we know how difficult, I mean, Ansu Fati's almost tricked us. He's kind of like tricked us because he's made us forget how difficult it is for a young winger to look anything other than at sea in a chaotic team. So, for example, um, Wilfried Zaha came on, and I mentioned this before to Ryan, we were chatting before, Wilfried Zaha came on for United against Newcastle and David Moyes' only season as a left winger and was just, you know, just absolutely abject. And it wasn't his fault, which is how you're meant to look in a team that's in disarray. Ansifati comes into the Barca team. Half that team doesn't have legs. I mean, when I say legs, as in, don't get me wrong, they have the effort, but they don't have the physicality. Fatty has to cover far more ground than a normal winger. And he just ate it up. He ate it up. And his charisma, his personality... And then he went to Spain, the national team, and he didn't just, it wasn't just the goal. Like the weird thing with that goal is the goal is almost an afterthought. He ran that game. He yeah. ran that game. And Luis Enrique trusts him. Like that in itself, like that. So for me, it's like, in terms of his ascension, like he began big, had a bit of a peak, hit a dip because of, you know, it's Barca. But he started strong. What's the Jay-Z thing? Grand opening, grand closing. Like this guy had a stellar, for a guy his age, he had a stellar year, I think. Yeah. My concern was just that he had been a little bit underutilized. And you're right, he's passed every yeah. test. Um, and there, I remember a particular game, is it Levante, where he, he scored he scored a couple of goals in the, in the win against Levante, the 2-1, where he just 
just just off the off the shoulder of the defender, Messi cuts in and just plays that ball through the centre backs, and it's it's like it's like watching David Villa and Messi relink back up again. And I was like, Excellent. oh, Excellent. here we go, here Excellent we go. Show. And show. I w- I just wish I'd seen a bit more of that. And on what he'd actually done, I was th- I thought he was a little bit short, but he was in my top ten because if Coman is watching any of this, he's looking at it and he's going, all right. Here's my left winger. Here's my left winger to start with. And he gets the role and he gets the chance. And that's where he can start to make some consistent waves. He's also tricked us because he is extremely young. Like yeah, He's well right. young, yeah. He's so young. So maybe it's unfair of me to ask for more of him. But it, obviously the talent is there. And every time he gets the chance, he proves that he belongs there. So I'm kind of in two minds about it. But that's where I think that's where our difference came. Sure. That's um. I mean, it's nice though. We're in we're in good tone here. We're in, in a very similar kind of range. So I'll, I'll move you on to the three, two, one. And I imagine that once it gets to the sharp end, things are going to start to to shake out here. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that Moose is along the same lines because it means I'm not a fraud, um, which is always <laughs> always I'm not, good. I'm, not, could, I'm not sure it does mean that. We could both, we'll yeah, going. we could, we could both be we could both be frauds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, at number three, I have gone for Jaden Sancho, okay. who has been super productive, as we know. Uh, the oft reference, my prediction for him last season, by the way, Musa, back at the start of the season was that he would register 20 goals and 20 assists. And he did not in Bundesliga play. He didn't manage it in the Bundesliga, but he managed it in all comps. And that was pretty bold at the time, but I had a lot of faith in his ability just to continually produce. Like the guy creates chances and puts away chances with both feet from different angles, the likes of which we basically don't really see very often. He's such an incredible footballer in so many different ways with that burst, with that agility, with that ingenuity. And I was toying with second here, but the truth be told, we're going to get to the top two. And obviously, you know who he is at this point. And I find it really hard to argue with those top two. So Sancho just falls into third for me. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Uh, Sancho didn't make my top 10. No, joking. He's number three. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm the same. For, the, for, those that, for those that are only listening on audio, I just did a proper hands-on head shot. George Rops there. Sorry, my inner troll. My inner troll just leapt out. No. Do you know, I love the analysis. I love it. And the funny thing with Sancho is, weirdly, arguably not quite as good at, as, as he was last season. So his numbers were up. But his influence was slightly down in terms of like his extended impact on games. Like he had these incredible high points, had a few more dips. But this is what I remark about Sancho. Even in a season where he, where teams seem to have worked out better ways to play him, they couldn't stop him, but they worked out better ways to play him. Started seeing his other parts of his game come to the fore. So his playmaking when he comes inside, which is something that Leroy Sané was criticised not doing that well. Sancho is very comfortable coming off the wing. Uh, he's very comfortable holding the ball up out on the flank and allowing the attack to build alongside him. He's very patient. And this is the thing we wouldn't realize. He's an incredibly patient passer. He's not pace and power. Like he's a proper authentic playmaker. Like he's not so much a right winger as a right midfielder. Like he's a proper midfielder. So yeah, Sancho at three and people don't understand how good this guy is. This guy is 20 years old and he is running the best attack in, well, on its day, the most devastating attack in Europe. That's wild. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really scared about him joining Man United. I have to say, like, it's it's obviously like the thing everybody talks about and whatnot, but I'm just so concerned about what could happen to him with that move. Like, if he's going anywhere, it should be Man City back to where he came from because that's the team in the Premier League that's going to suit him best. Obviously, there's reasons why that, that wouldn't happen. But for me, he's kind of like Raheem Sterling would play him on the other side and he'll just, just 
you know fit straight in but at United I just so worried about what what that system what the morale what everything at that club and, right and now pressure, might do right? to Jaden Sancho so, to go into that club and be the man being a hundred million pound player for sure yeah for sure and also being English as well you know throw that into the equation as well because that's that's yeah. a massive thing that you've got to take into context here because you know players do get blown out of all proportion just because they're being English and just the way our media work and you know if this was if he was Spanish then he would just be seen as a really normal talented kid who was doing really well and for us it's like no wow look what we've got look what we've got and like let's see what happens over the next couple of years because he is only 20 and like he's amazing but the next couple of years it's really going to define it doesn't take long for everyone to throw the towel in on a player like we saw literally 80 minutes of Kai Havertz against Brighton and half the Chelsea fan base convinced themselves that he was useless, which is obviously ridiculous. But it really only does take one performance with no training under his belt whatsoever mm. and no pre-season for people to start questioning these things. And he, he cost 100 million. So it would be a similar microscope, similar glare. And Can I say, before, before you, you're still on Sancho or? Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. So carry on, carry on. No, um, I, I, so yeah, similar Microsoft, similar glare and just like very unforgiving, particularly because he's English. So I guess we're all worried about it, but we also will back him as a talent. So I wouldn't be too concerned. It doesn't keep me up yeah. at night. I don't want him to come to England. I want him to go to Spain. I want him to go to Real Madrid. Look, I, so as a United fan, of course, you want to play like that in your team. But for his development, Madrid only scored like 70 goals last year. Their attack is broken. It's broken long term. Benzema doesn't give you that big production. Vinicius and Rodrigo are kind of, they're a bit shot shy. Like, if you put Zed, I said this last season, if you put Jadon Sancho in the front three at Madrid, you solve that problem overnight. We yeah, love Benzema. Fun. We love Benzema. So we, we, we don't take Benzema slander kindly around here. But uh... Absolutely, yeah. But you know, in terms of like, the chances that Sancho would create for Benzema, like to allow him to be an authentic nine, not a nine that runs, you know, Benzema runs everywhere but the nine position, right? And not an authentic nine in his like final years. And he's not, not he's not physically fit, but Hazard and Sancho either side of Benzema, that front three eats everything. It I mean, eats we're probably, so, yeah, we're BHS. probably, BHS. We're probably, BHS. <laughs> <laughs> I love BHS. it. I love it. I love it. I mean, we're probably at the point where Rodri- uh, Rodrigo and Vinicius could actually consider like full season loans out. Vinicius has the ick in front of goal. He has everything leading up to that point. It's getting better, but it's not quite there. And Rodrigo can look so classy at times, but can also just completely fade out of games. Those expectations at the Bernabeu are sky high. And they, I think, I think they, they still got some developing to do. I think long term, they'll be okay. Like they're, they're two wonderful talents, but right now, yeah, maybe Sancho is the answer. But as we know, Real Madrid don't really have a lot of cash to spend, do they? Well, not till the Kylian Mbappe mm-hmm. transfer yeah. becomes available. Yeah, but let's, right, yeah, let's talk yeah. about that a different day. Yeah, exactly. um, and let's move into let's move into number two. And I mean, look, chuck it out there, Sam. Who are you going for? Well, is Erling Haaland is it two? Uh, the production is outrageous. 18 goals, three assists in 19 games. More than a goal or assist contribution per game, which is just remarkable. He doesn't seem to stop. He's bagged two on his first game of the season against Gladbach in a 3-0 win. And the Sancho pass into Haaland for the finish was just was just wonderful in that game. It, it really, really was. It was one of my favourite games from the weekend. Um, Haaland's second to a player who was basically just he's just won too much not to put him top and obviously he's thrilled us uh, and he's surprised us and he's made us proud as well and I'll skip straight into because we can talk about them side by side it's Alfonso Davies at number one um, I don't know how many left backs have won this award but I don't think it's very many but Davies is just a different cut 
obviously we love him. We've had him on the podcast. We've, we've watched over his career with pride. Uh, like proud parents we are, Musa, with, with Alfonso, really. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so you actually got to speak to him? Yeah, oh, we, we had went out we... to Munich in, in October before he really how... broke through and, and had a yeah. real chat with him about playing left back and about how he was a bit confused about it all. And, and then suddenly, fast forward nine months, and he's you know, arguably the best left back in Europe. What an yeah. amazing coup. You're still in touch with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To him here. He, because, uh, his... he opens every podcast for us with uh, met... listening to the off of ranks. So his I did, his uh, YouTube yeah. thing is hilarious. His YouTube channel with his girlfriend is hilarious. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's so very, good. Very it's so, yeah, it's so funny. He's, yeah, he's wonderful. But I mean, look, aside from the personal feelings of a close personal friend of the podcast um davis has been electric hasn't he? he's been a, an absolute game changer and uh just tell it like obviously from 25 appearances from what i counted the two goals and five assists is fine the 14 clean sheets is part of an incredible defense and you know you watch certain games and him just you know as thomas muller went beat me like that just like racing back and just closing off attacks even against the quickest of players 1v1 is just unshakable and he's had certain games that have just elevated in like the chelsea game the first leg uh, in the Champions League, he was incredible. Barcelona, he absolutely destroyed. There's the game against Frankfurt as well, uh, post-lockdown in the Bundesliga season, where he was just remarkable. I think he slayed Dusseldorf as well when they when he came into contact with them. Just just incredible. Just takes my breath away. Uh, and I think he deserves it, having won the treble uh, and having played to such a consistently high level and just completely changing the, the face of Bayern's left-sided play. Yeah, absolutely. And Moose, have you gone the same way? My top two, that's the same for me. Like you had Erling Haaland, it was tough because he transformed Dortmund's attack. Mm. They had Paco Acasa before and they bring in Haaland and automatically they have one of the five most devastating number nines in world football. Now, this is not necessarily a a peak period for nines, but Haaland, I think, in any era would stand out. This guy is like a kind of like a young Christian Vieri almost. Like Mm. we just haven't seen this. It's like Ruva Nostrum meets Christian Vieri. It's unbelievable, right? And so... So the only player that could have beaten him was Alfonso Davies. But the context of what Davies did at Bayern, like, you know, you'll know this because you were, you were following him closely, but this team was in crisis. Like, oh, yeah. Niko Kovac, like, this team was completely at sea. Bayern could have, if it hadn't been for Lewandowski in the early part of that season, Bayern could have ended up fifth. Like, they were, if it was his goals keeping them afloat. He was just like, and then the team reconfigured around, like, Davies basically like learned a position that was necessarily his primary one. And the way he took to it, like watching him actually defend, it wasn't like, you know, some left backs look like just converted left wingers. He never looked like a converted left winger. Like he looked like an authentic left back. Could always get a second tackle in if someone beat him, which was very rarely, and just would hoover up space on the left flank. Um, and it's funny because Hernandez played against um, Schalke, but fully fit Alfonso Davies is, is the first choice. And allowed, and it wasn't just him being an amazing left back. It's what he allowed everyone else to do. He allowed Boateng to have Alaba as a partner, and he extended because then Boateng all of a sudden didn't have to be the speedster, because sometimes uh, Davies would come and be the sweeper. So then you have the terrifying threat of the long passing of Boateng, which is pretty much still the best in the world. There's not a better centre back at long passing than Boateng. Similar, but no one better. Alaba basically sweeping as well. Their understanding, Alaba Davies was wild, like his tactical and the way that elite players talk about him. You know, the Thomas Muller affectionate thing was great because it just goes, they trust him. Like Bayern is not a club where, it's, it's amazing. It's an interesting club where young players are given the platform. You know, we see Sarpreet Singh, so, uh, Jamal Musiala, Musiala given yeah. A, yeah, given a chance. They're given Chris a chance. Richards, Chris Richards. You know, and even Renato Sanchez, they gave him a chance, but he didn't last. Like you're given a platform, but you have to take it. And Davies just like, he took it all. Yeah. 
Yeah, he just he just was yeah. like, yeah, cool, thanks very much. I'm now the best yeah. left back in the world. Cool. He, he um, ate all the chicken. He ate yeah, all the chicken. Legit. It was it was one of those ones, and it was kind of interesting when you said about Haaland there because you know we talked about Jaden Sancho and this season him not being you know not quite being as performance wise as startling as perhaps he was the year before, and perhaps part of that is the fact that the attacking burden has been removed from his shoulders somewhat by the impetus that Haaland has brought to this side, right? Because Haaland has come in and been huge and it's kind of like now Sancho can sit back a little bit and be like okay for 70 minutes I can just create and then with 20 minutes to go I have all this energy and I can just you know absolutely explode past teams and and we saw that time and time again towards the end of the Bundesliga season yeah or well, you might have three this time next year you might have three Dortmund players you might have three different Dortmund players in the top in the top 10 yeah you might because you know what's coming through and that's that's also going to be Jadon Sancho's guidance you know Jude Bellingham is coming anyone that saw Dortmund against Gladbach is like, what the hell has this boy been doing in training that he got picked ahead of Julian Brandt? This is a beast. Like yeah. these players. So what, what, what Sancho's building, I think this season will be a much more considered form of play. We might not see the kind of, like you say, the kind of like rapid, like, you know, speeds that we saw in his first season. We might see something far more dangerous, which is him dropping deep and allowing others to make those runs that he made and him coming in and cutting out. Because now with Mounier at fullback, well, wingback, who was really, really good against Gladbach, it's going to see a lot more space for, for, for Sancho lower down the field and players like Bellingham and Gio Reyna supporting Haaland. I mean, that's terrifying. That's absolutely... I mean, I, I, as a centre-back in the Bundesliga, I would not want any part of that. Yeah, and next then, year's Golden Boy ranking is going to be Jude Bellingham, Gio Reyna, Matteo Mori. Matteo Mori. Yeah, yeah, episode next finished. year now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What a player. Well, that's good. Um, we've come to a, con- a consensus, shall we say, on the 3-2-1. Yeah. Dean, have you got anyone on this shortlist that's, uh, that's caught your eye? I mean, I know how much you love Mason Greenwood and seeing him low down the list must have been a blow. But um, I don't think we've spoken about our mate Sergino Dest yet, have we? We haven't. No, no, we haven't. We haven't. Good I shout. mean, yeah, for me... Yeah. That's somebody that, I mean, obviously I, I caught people's attention when I said he made the wrong decision by choosing USMNT and should have, should have decided to go Dutch. Um, that was but now he's got a big decision. He's got a big decision ahead of him now because he, he is actually got a, a transfer decision to make by the looks of things over Bayern and Barcelona, both in for him. So does he stay with Ajax for one more year? Or does, he, does he choose to go to one of those two clubs right now? We've said before that we think he should probably do another year at Ajax. Um, but he's, he's going to make this decision. Barcelona's the dream for him. Like he's, this, this lad's so good. But like Jaden Sancho, like all of these players, really, like their their careers are defined over the next couple of years. Whether they win Golden Boy or not, I mean, doesn't really matter. You look at look at the last few years of of who's won the Golden Boy. So you got Jao Felix at the lit the year before, Kylian Mbappe. I mean. Not too bad in terms of the way that their careers are, are, are progressing, but Renato Sanchez 2016, Martial 2015. Um, you know, Alexander Pato won this in, in 2009, so therefore it's a serious award. Yeah. <laughs> Anderson, Anderson as well. Anderson won it. He did, yeah, 2008. Yeah, blimey. Um, you know what it's... Yeah, sorry, I'm being rude. But that, oh, yeah. so, you know, Dest, going to Barca now, I think, even in the chaos, is the one. Because they've I got, agree. Because the competition, what they got, they got like... Um, Semedo. is about to join Wolves. Yeah. Sold Semedo and then Sergio Roberto is not really a right back. Yeah. He's yeah, opened to... up for him at a time. You know, obviously. He's a boyhood Barcelona fan. That's and it's a bit wants. goes back to that Tonali yeah. thing, right? I just like people signing for the clubs they supported as children. Um, <laughs> and, and, and therefore, Sergio Dest should sign for Barcelona, even, even in the chaos. I agree. I mean, look, the pathway is blocked at, 
at Bayern a little bit, isn't it? Because uh, yeah. there are lots of good players who can play right back. I mean, yeah, earlier in the summer, I was thinking that Bayern might be the, the best shout because of the settled nature of it. And because he would give, he would give you so much, something so different to Benjamin Pavard. So they are so different as right backs. And if you're moving Kimmich into central midfield permanently, then they would probably need another body there. Hence why they, they signed Odri Zola on loan. So I thought that was shaping up for him. But if Semedo leaves and joins Wolves, then there is your opportunity. That is your playing time window. And I would go for it. I'm just, if, scared. If I'm just scared of what's going to happen at Barcelona in the coming months. I don't know if I trust Kuban. I don't know what their, what their philosophy is. But I guess with Dest, it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it? Because you just look at the way he plays football and that is Barcelona. You know, he's taking that path from Ajax to Barcelona. Like, got his mate Frankie there. You're scared of everything, mate. You go I to lost, bed scared. <laughs> I, lost, I lost faith in Kerman this weekend when he said that Ricky Puj could go out and loan. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> What's he doing? What's he talking yeah. about? I, I think that was that was the end of my uh, very brief love affair with Ronald Kerman in Barcelona. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Um, and that's pretty much all we've got for uh, for this main segment. And I guess what's uh, left for me to do is say thank you so much to Musa. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And do you want to tell the rank school where they can uh, where they can find you and, and find Stadio? Oh, yeah. So you can find Stadio. Um, it's on Twitter at Stadio, S-T-A-D-I-O. Uh, we're on Spotify only, unfortunately, for those who don't listen to Spotify, but it's free. So you can just listen free. Um, spot is uh, Stadio at Ringer FC, which is the Ringer FC feed. Uh, yeah. And our website is Stadio.Football. So you can like the fancy dot football suffix. Nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Also, also if you want to like just send us anything, any questions, drop us a line at stadiofootball at gmail.com. So yeah, any questions, queries, frustrations, um, anything, just send it, send it to, send it to us and uh, Ryan will answer you. <laughs> okay, exactly. And I'll, and I'll be sure to read nothing. You're right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bruce. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, pleasure. Thank you. Well, thank you to Musa. That was a whole load of fun. Back to the three of us, though, for the roulette wheel, which we've got back out of storage again. Two questions this week, so uh, let's roll it the first time. Okay, well, this is a good one. Um, when the world reopens and fans are back, what's the one ground you can't wait to get to? Dean, I'll start with you. I think it's... Well, it's going to be the San Siro if it's still around. <laughs> they might have knocked it down by the time we all get around to go into matches again. But if the world was to reopen, say, in time for the second half of the season, I'm desperate. I think that one thing that's grown on me since we stopped going to football was, it was Italian football. I don't know why that is, but I've, I've probably watched more Serie A than I, than I normally would have. And I have kind of got a bug for it and I want to go to Italy as much as I can. But yeah, the San Siro, I have been there, but it was like eight, nine years ago. Um, it was actually when Bale ran rings around Inter in that, in that oh, game wow. half that day. That was the last time I went there. And it's such a long time ago. I can, I can barely remember the actual like experience much apart from Bale's goals. So um, yeah, just really want to go there and see this Milan team as well. You know, I want to see that place buzzing and and it would be you know if, if they can get going again this season to get to San Siro and see AC Milan pushing for something you know probably not the Scudetto but even if they're pushing for the top four it's pushing for something which they haven't pushed for for about nine years so yeah that'd be great that would be for me AC Milan. I went to the San Siro about three years ago and saw AC Milan versus Juventus oh, nice. uh, and I saw Gonzalo Higuain score his 200th Serie A goal so oh, in wow. a 2-0 win for Juve second goal was delightful as well to be fair to him uh, a really good goal for Pepita who's now over at Inter Miami of course right Sam who what are you going for well I've also been to San Siro in the last four years I went to watch a 1-0 win over Claude Puel's Southampton it was as boring as it sounds um, right 
I would say that during lockdown, I've become quite accustomed to not traveling anywhere. And I don't really want to go very far. So I'd pick the Valley, Charlton Athletic, because it's the closest oh. one to my house. Oh, my God. You can you go really there tomorrow. Are. They're letting fans in, aren't they? You really are dull. <laughs> I think they literally are letting the fans in at Charlton now. So if you want to go, you can probably go. Sorry, Jack, but that is that is my answer. Okay. All right. Um, mine is uh, obviously the new Brentford Stadium. Psych. <laughs> Don't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go to San Paolo. Um, I want to go down. to Napoli. And I have had this. I was on... BBC Radio 5 Live for the Champions League final. I was talking with Ben Haynes of 90 Minutes. He's a friend of mine. And we both agreed that the stadium we both want to go to most in the entire world is Napoli on a Champions League night. Um, obviously, there's the whole thing about them being, they all sing the champions, don't they, at the end of the anthem. And you can hear it for something like eight miles around. And at one point, like there was a Richter scale thing for them jumping up and down and all sorts of things going on. So, so Naples is my destination of choice. Let's spin this wheel one more time. This is a good one for the two of you, I think. It says, what question do you get asked most often about football? Like, Dean, I reckon I could guess what yours oh, is yeah. going to be. Yours, uh, is yours, when is Sancho coming to United? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know how many times a day I get this question. On just comments on Twitter, um, DMs on Instagram, DMs on... Uh, text messages from my mate anyone anyone that sees me seems to ask me when Jado Sancho's joining um I'm so bored of it I mean I'm, I like that at least they think I might know so that might mean that I'm kind of good at my job if they think I'm going to know the, the but if I'm going to break this I'm not just going to send it in a in a message to them I'll do something with the information um <laughs> and the latest is that it's not dead everyone just says to me is it dead what's going on with, with Sancho is Sancho coming what's going on with Sancho uh, why is Woodward not signed Sancho? I'm like, he's trying. He really is trying. Um, Man United are doing their best, but they're not. They're just not caving in. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely Jaden Sancho for me. Fantastic, Sam. What's yours? The most actual common question that I get in my DMs is from people that dislike me uh, and have seen something that I've written or said that they don't like, and the way they'd like to phrase their anger and hatred is, "Have you ever kicked a ball before?" Uh, you actually get that asked. That I get I get asked if you ever even kicked a ball before, probably twice a day by someone who I've upset or two people that I've upset. And it's uh it's it's just, it's like a like you don't know football, you've no idea what you're talking about. Have you ever ever even kicked a ball? That's the most common question I get. I would say that this summer I had so many questions about Lionel Messi and his potential tactical fit at X, Y, or Z that I got very sick of it within about four days. Um, I play a lot of Warzone with my friends and I do that to get away from football. And then even they on the Warzone comms during a drop were like, so what do you think about Messi, mate? And I'm like, I'm going on mute for three minutes. I'm not talking about this. I could not get away from it. So like Dean, it's just, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's just relentless. Um, but that's obviously calmed down since. Fair. I think the question I get asked most is, I know who Dean and Sam are, but who are you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And, and with that, let's, uh, let's move on to Melon of the Week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is... Kepa Ariza Balaga. Boo. 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 Too easy. Too easy. We give it to keepers. I feel sorry for Kepa at this point. I genuinely, like, I I just want him to go to Osasuna and succeed. Listen, mate, (laughs) he decided to be a goalkeeper. You've got to deal with the consequences. Um, I do try and avoid goalkeepers where I can. There are situations where you can't. I can't 
be sure that I've ever even given him a Melon of the Week award before. And so he should be lucky. He counts himself lucky that he's never got it. Look, absolute howler, obviously, that gifted Sadio Mane a goal. But this is about more than that in that Liverpool match for Chelsea. Um, he's got no confidence. And we've reached the stage that it is holding back the entire football club. The players don't trust him. Watch when they play. If he's, if he's on and they've got a player running on and pressing them, they, they literally think twice about whether they can pass back to him or whether they're best just knocking it somewhere else, even out of play, I think, at, at times. They're, they're terrified about him charging out of his box. I don't think they're sure about his comf- comfort with collecting stuff that he should be comfortable with. I think he's partly to blame for Christensen's red card, to be honest, because of the way he came racing out. Um, Chelsea want to challenge the top two. I don't think they were going to do that with... Kepper is their goalkeeper. Lampard's had reservations about him for nine months now. I literally wrote about this back in January, um, that he would start looking for a new goalkeeper. He's got one coming in now. Um, and so once he's got actual competition, I think we might finally see the last of Kepper. Um, unless that rivalry sparks something in him and he, and he, he gets him back to being himself. I'm not saying he's a bad goalkeeper, but he is an absolute melon. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't have a good week. I, I'm sad that you didn't give this to Andreas Christensen. And, and purely because I really enjoyed a tweet at the weekend that said, not only is that a red card in football, but it's also a red card in rugby because it's a high tackle and it'd be around <laughs> the neck. So he'd have been genuinely sent off in a rugby game for that challenge, which did make me laugh. I mean, it gives us a chance to talk a little bit about Edouard Mendy, Sam. The, the first point I have about Edouard Mendy is not a particularly analytical one. It is He is one big geezer, six foot six. He is huge. He is huge. And he's the opposite to Kepper in one very important way that Dean has already touched on. Uh, Edouard Mendy is very, very aggressive when coming for crosses. He's got these big, long arms. Think how like Nick Pope just kind of reaches towards the sky and just plucks the ball out of the air and no one can do anything about it. Big frame, long arms, nice and aggressive off his line, will dominate in the air and has or has done at least for Wren. So that's a good start because Kepa is very passive, very small, very timid. So that's going to help in a number of ways to start off with. And then he's got the basics right as well. He's a very good goalkeeper. And I think this is... The style that he is is like a direct consequence of, of the frustrations of Kepa with that passiveness, with the, the small frame, the fact that he looks so small on that goal line. They've gone for someone who is completely different for a reason. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good sign. I'm also happy for him because, you know, this, he's got a good story, Edouard Mendy. Five years ago, he was basically planning on giving up the game, playing in the fourth tier in, in France. And he was like, this just isn't it. I'm not, I'm not making it. So... So he's in the, now to be to be signing for a side that's going to be challenging in the in the Premier League and, and playing in the Champions League is is some some statement from him. So fair play to him. It's uh, it's been some career, um, which leaves us with only one thing left to do. Nice. That's the nonsense siren, Sam. Over to you. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, I presented three half-finished nonsenses and said that I would finish one. Um, I've, I've not done that. I've done something else. They're still half-finished. Uh, so I've just gone for something completely new. And the reason I've done it is because I actually spent the morning looking at pictures of mountain ranges. And Why? Well, to rank the top three mountain ranges in the world, obviously. I thought that was obvious. Um, so this is my top three mountain Any ranges. Any birds on any of them? Oh, I presume so, Dino. <laughs> Wasn't worked into the ranking, but happy for you to correct me. If uh, one I'll has be more a... interested when you figure that out. Oh, well, do your, do your own research on that okay. one, mate. All right. Okay. In at number three is the Himalayas. 
It is home to Earth's tallest peak, which is Mount Everest. It comes in just shy of 30,000 feet. I think it splits Nepal and India, and there are trails either side. And on Google Images this morning, I sat there just ensconced by, by some of the buildings that people have managed to, to mount into the, into the mountain and, and some of the architecture. I think it's absolutely incredible. Um, and we start strong there. I mean, if that's got the highest peak on Earth and it's only at three, we're talking about some pretty special mountain ranges in at two and one here. So in at two is the Andes, which runs pretty much the length of South America, five and a half thousand miles. If you were to go through the entire thing, if it were physically possible, you would go through Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Venezuela. How cool would that be to just go, okay, okay, you have to walk five and a half thousand miles. That's not cool. But to be able to say you've been through all those countries just by, just by traversing a mountain range, that is, I think that's awesome. Absolutely awesome. So in at number one, it's got to be something very special. And to be honest with you, it isn't as glamorous as the two that I have mentioned. It's not as famous, not as glamorous. And to be honest, it's it's nowhere near as famous as some of the ones that have been left out. We've got no Rockies, no Alps, no Pyrenees. Didn't even make the list. This mountain range, its peaks pale in comparison to Mount Everest. It doesn't have a patch on the Andes, sprawling, far-reaching conquest of concrete. But what it does have and that's what sets it apart, is it overlooks a cathedral, a temple, a shrine on this planet. It is the Estadio Nuevos Los Carmenes, and it is the home of Granada Football Club. The Sierra Nevada mountain range looks over the finest stadium in the lands, the the club top of La Liga, Europa League bound. The forge in which the fantastic Yanhel Herrera's career is being hammered out. The oasis in which Roberto Soldado has drunk the magic waters and at age 35 looks as fresh as he did at 21. The cage in which Rui Silva's reflexes were honed. No mountain range, big or small, wide or compact, can claim to witness such a beautiful thing, and we should bow to it. Wow. I mean, Sierra Nevada has a good beer named after it. So That's the one in California, though. There's two. <laughs> right, okay. So uh, it's not even the good Sierra Nevada. <laughs> um, <laughs> fantastic, Sam. Um, that is, as, as promised, absolute nonsense. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Um, and with that, on that bombshell, it's uh, probably time to call this episode a day. Um, first off, thank you so much to Musa Kwonga, who joined us to rank the Golden Boy. Make sure you go and check out Stadio as well. It's a really, really brilliant podcast and one of my personal favourites. Um, thank you so much to Sam Tai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks. Please keep the rank squad growing. Please keep sharing. Please keep it reviewing us and, and doing all the bits and bobs that have made the rank squad so great. We really do appreciate it. And we will be... I've been promising this for a couple of weeks, but, uh, but I'm promising you, you again. There is big news coming from us soon. And uh, you just keep tuned and keep an eye on what we're up to. Also, follow at Rank Squad on Twitter uh, because we now have a new home there. So if you can... Uh, there's an age gate on it at the moment that we're trying to get removed. But if you can follow at Rank Squad, please do. We're, we're, we're working on all the bits and bobs to do with Twitter. Thanks for listening, Ever Squad. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.